Hey everyone, it's Mordecai, and welcome back to the Origination Podcast, where we speak to the top salespeople and originators in the multifamily industry to try to understand what separates the top performers from the rest of the pack. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Steve Rosenberg. Steve is the founder and CEO of Greystone. He is also my father. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. It's very far reaching and we talk about topics such as how he got his start in sales, what continues to motivate him after achieving success, and what a starring role in a third grade play has to do with origination. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome, Dad, to the Origination Podcast. It's a delight to have you. It's a delight to be here with you, Mordechai. And every opportunity I have to connect with you is just an absolute pleasure. So thank you. Yeah, I, I didn't know exactly how to introduce you because have you noticed that sometimes like when people, when they work with their fathers, like they start to call them by their first name? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. noticed it. Yeah. So that, far, you haven't. No, that yeah, that always like struck me as strange. So I'll just I'll just call you call you dad for uh, you know as as I do. Yeah, or or you can just call me the person with whom you share fifty percent of your DNA. Exactly, exactly. Right. Otherwise known <laughs> as. Right. So, let's start at the beginning. So let's turn back the clock and talk. I'd like to know about your early sales experience. So from maybe when you were a kid, teenager, you know, what are some, when you think about your very early or first sales experiences, like what, what comes to mind? So that's interesting that you, that you asked that question. I think my earliest sales experience, so I, I will say I did not grow up a confident kid. Mm -hmm. I did not. I always... I, um, I, I think I had, I had a stutter growing up. I, um, I, my mother actually took me to a, uh, like a psychologist, uh, um, for my stutter, um, for some reason. And I'll just say this publicly cause I think it's helpful and it's true. It's like, I was, a, I was a bedwetter till I was almost like 13. And like that also really affects your self-confidence. Hmm. And um, I remember I had a sleepover with my friend uh, Howie Cass when I was in, uh, I don't know, uh, third grade, fourth grade, something like that. And I, we were sleeping in the same bed. I ended up wetting the bed and he ended up jumping into his sister's bed in the middle of the night. And all I remember is getting up in the morning, like at his, his wet bed. He had a, he had a air conditioning. It was, he had a very small room, but he had like a, like a, like a, tremendous it was like a it was like a commercial air conditioner so the room was absolutely freezing like there was yeah. no way i was going to escape that room without wetting the bed and in the morning it's like i i woke up and it's like oh my god the bed's wet he's not there his mother comes in and says i asked your mom to come and pick you up so mm. so I, I didn't have a very confidence building uh, childhood but what i would say is that my earliest sales experience was actually in fifth grade for some reason, we were going to have a George Washington play. For some reason, I got it in my head that I, I wanted to be George Washington. And so, but how was I going to do that? 
So what I did was they gave out the scripts before the play, and I ended up just going and memorizing the whole George Washington uh, role. And so I came in in the morning when they were going to give the roles away, and I, um, I said, I already know it. And so they gave it to me. Hmm. And um, so that was like kind of my first sales experience. And then I think in junior high or high school, I remember selling Cokes in the circus. Mm-hmm. And describe that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I got a job. My a friend of mine said, "Hey, you know, I'm selling coats in the circus. It's really good." So what was really interesting about that job was that it was easy to sell the cokes. It was hard to get them because there was a whole there was like one coke dispensary like where they would give them where you'd have to buy the cokes and then you resell them at a at a profit. But so at the dispensary. There was like a tremendously long line, like a block long. So every time you finished selling your Cokes, you'd have to get online and you'd wait like 15 minutes or more to get to get your Cokes. So what I did was I actually went and I bought like instead of one tray of Coke, I bought like four trays of Coke where I couldn't even barely carry them. So I, I got them up into like where the people were sitting. I found like an old lady, a friendly lady. I said, do you mind if I, here's a free Coke. Do you mind if I put my Cokes under your chair? Hmm. And so I didn't have to, I could save, I could save the time that it took to like wait online like three times. And I ended up selling much more Cokes, many more Cokes than anyone else did. Hmm. So anyway, that's, that, those are the experiences that I, uh, I remember. There are, there are others along the way, yeah. but those are the earliest ones I remember. Yeah. So those are great stories. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it dawns on me that with both of them, you know, there was this idea of like, how do I you know, eliminate the competition, right? How do I just make it so that really there's just no other other choice, right? right? right. So even preparing for the George Washington play, it's like, well, who you know, everyone else is going to be reading the lines off of the sheet. Yeah. They're going to be stumbling yeah. through it. You know, right? How do I make it enough? How do I make it a no-brainer? How do I make it a no-brainer? Right. Yeah. And anyone who works with you would say that that is a common refrain that they will hear from you is, how do we make it a no-brainer? Yeah. If it takes you more than three minutes for someone to say, well, of course I'm going to work with you, then you haven't done the right job. Yeah. Three minutes. Three minutes max. And uh, and I I remember you saying to me, Mordechai, a a while back, it's like, Dad, don't you realize that if you just, if you show up and you provide really good service, you don't have to always do something that no one else will do. Yeah. I remember you you saying that to me. And and I know that you're right about that, but there's something in me. I always wanted to say things that, 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 that the client would not hear from anybody else. Like I wanted to be the only one on the planet that could say those things. And, mm-hmm. uh, and again, that might be driven by my own insecurities or, or that, like, um, I, I, I don't, I can't put failure as an option. Mm-hmm. And if I, and if I can, if I'm saying things that nobody else on the planet can say, then failure is a low likelihood. Especially yeah. if I'm if I'm nice and I'm respectful and I'm funny and and yeah, so I I try to I try to reduce the possibility of failure to a very very small extent. Hmm. Yeah. 
the idea of needing to say the words that no one out that they won't hear anyone else saying right that is a flavor of distinguishing yourself from the competition yeah but it's just but it is it is different um it's just a flavor you know i was talking to aaron hargrove for the podcast you know, yeah, i listened to that ago. one yeah yeah i listened to that yeah yeah when i was talking to him about how he approaches sales he said that you know, he feels that, that he really is adding a unique value, that he approaches it and feels like the job that he can do for a client in listing their property, right? It just, and the care that they're gonna take, he feels like he's doing a service to that, that yeah. other person, that if they would end up yeah. choosing him, they're just gonna get a remarkable service, Yeah. right? The idea of needing to say words that, that no one else is saying, do you think, is there anything about that that, that stems from a feeling of like, if they just bought the plain vanilla, that wouldn't be enough. Like it has to be like, you know, you could say that people benefit from conversations with you, right? But they getting your advice, they, they, they you know, they, um, they benefit from that. But is that enough in your, is there, do you think there's some part in your, in your mind that still is kind of feeling that maybe lack of self-confidence in some ways, or it's, that's requiring you to do something that's totally different from anybody. Um, else. I, I think it's, it might be ego. Um, mm -hmm. I'll be the first one to say that's possible. It might be my insecurities. That's possible. But it might also be just, I want to reduce the probability of failure to near zero. And I, I, I remember listening to the podcast with Aaron, and I love Aaron. He's that fantastic. Was, that was Eric, but I think probably. Eric, yes, Aaron yes, yes. Like, you're right. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Oh, I, Eric. Yeah. yeah. But, but I remember Eric saying, it's like, it's all about relationship. I don't think yeah. that anybody will, I don't think it'll ever be just digital. I think it's going to be relationship. And uh, I can certainly understand why he's saying that, but that's also a hopeful. Uh, yeah. That was also a hopeful statement. Uh, what I would say is I don't want to rely on hope. I want to rely on like you would, that a client would just feel too silly to go anywhere else. Yeah. Right. To, too silly. It's almost be embarrassing. Like if once you lay out the facts, like what, it would just be too embarrassing for someone to yeah. go in a different direction. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, part of, part of this is about, it's not just laying out the facts, it's laying them out in a compelling way. Yeah. You know, you know, sometimes you have the most brilliant people and you get on a conversation with them and they just, you know, they have a tape in their brain that they have to play. Yeah. And it's like, and but that's not called communication. So yes, you have to have the idea, but you have to be able to plant that idea so carefully, right, in the listener's brain in order to turn that idea into an effective idea. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, I would, I would tell you that I don't have too many skills, but one skill I think I have to some extent I don't see it being so common is that when I'm speaking to someone, nothing else exists. And I am sitting inside their head, listening to every word that I'm saying and making sure that that word is hitting home. I'm watching their eyes. I'm watching their body language. Um, I'm watching them 
whether or not they're nodding or whether or not they're taking it in or whether or not they're distracted. I'm so focused on the listener to the exclusion of like of everything else. And if I think that maybe I've said some words that might not be as clear as I wanted them to be, I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll, I'll say the idea again in different words. Mm-hmm. Or I'll ask them, did I, was I just clear about what I just said? If I wasn't, I can say it again. And maybe I'll even ask them a question, like based on what I just said, if you were this, what would the answer be? So I'll take it to, I think, a, a new level in terms of my focus on, um, on the people. And um, I, I remember there were certain teachers I had growing up. There weren't too many good ones. But the ones that I really appreciated were the ones that when I spoke to them, I believed that I was the only thing that mattered to them on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I think communicating in that way so that people know that they are the absolute focus of your attention with everything else just being silent. It's so critical. And uh, that's that's what I mean by that. There is the old quote about how people won't remember what you say and maybe they'll remember what you do, but what really will stay with them is how you make them feel. Yeah, Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. I was talking to one of the summer interns from this this year who worked on my team, and he mentioned that you met with all of the interns before they before the internship was over. What he said was remarkable was how you showed real interest in each one of them. Like you really wanted to know them, right? Yeah. And know, learn about them and really un- understand them, which is what you're talking about, but really being present with, with, with people. Yeah. Well, I guess just as a human being, we want to work with people based on how they make us feel, ideally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and I think that if you would ask people who were in a sales meeting with you, right, let's say a client, and they and they came out and a week later you said, how was your meeting with, with Steve Rosenberg? How was that? They may or may not remember the idea that you shared, right? But I think they definitely will remember how you made them feel. Yeah. You know, and they'll I want to be so. back in yeah. that room. Yeah. So I wonder if... It would just be interesting if, if really what you're you're saying that that the your ability to really be present with someone and totally interested in them so that nothing else exists in the world that that's how you're picking up on what to say and how to communicate it but it could be that that focus itself really is mm-hmm. the product so to speak yeah yeah it could really that could very well be so what you're really saying it's not the focus because the root of the focus is just genuinely really caring. Right. Yeah, I'm not, when I'm, when I'm talking to each of those summer, summer interns on that video call, I'm sincerely interested in, in their background, where they went to school, why they chose that school, what their experience has been like at Greystone or will be, like, what are they hoping for? Like, the reality is, you know, it's hard to fake genuine. Yeah, but I I really do care about them, and I want as I've always said I see Greystone as as um is number one I see my job uh, to serve their interests 
mm-hmm. right? To make sure that they are the happiest, that their families are the happiest, the healthiest. I think that my role, I, I just see my role to serve others. And uh, I get the greatest pleasure from that also. So, you know, once again, it's not like there's some altruistic um, con- concept here. It's it's that I also derive pleasure from serving others and uh, and doing for others and creating benefit. And again, could there be an ego part of that? Yeah, probably, you know, but but the bottom line is that I think is that's, you know, I love people. I want to benefit them. Anything I can do to enhance their lives a little bit, whether or not it's a smile, whether or not it's complimenting their clothing, whether or not it's complimenting something else, it's just just helping them, you know. And um, you know, my best buddies in the building are the people that are waxing the floors at night, whether or not they're you know the they're sitting at the front desk. Those are my buddies, you know. The ladies that are if I'm working late at night, the ladies come in and they're they're. You know, they're, you know, Steve, put your legs up on the desk so we can vacuum under your feet. Like they're, 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 they couldn't be more comfortable uh, yeah. with me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good segue to spirituality. Right. So yeah, you talk about altruism, and people who know you, I think, would call you a rather spiritual person. What what role would you say spirituality? or God like plays in your approach to the business on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so it's interesting because I actually don't separate business and spirituality at all. I think it's all one thing. And I, I would tell you that it, it, the root, I think the root of, of my being is my appreciation for everything that God does for me on a daily basis, billions and billions of things without asking for like, thank you every single time my cells divide without mutating or that my lungs can take in air without struggling or my heart is able to pump the blood around my body. It's like all the billions of things that are going right that I I try to notice and I try to, I'm walking on the street and it's like, what? Like these trees, they just pop out of the, out of the ground and look how, look how beautiful they look against this blue sky. Look how beautiful they look against the cloudy sky. Look at, so I, I, I try to really focus on all of the things that I receive in such a loving way that I'm, that I can take in and I that that results in such like I have a level of like I would say that I, I, it's not like I love God I am in love with God and I don't really care what you'd label God I don't care if you label it you know you know, Yahweh Jesus I, I, Jesus uh, Muhammad I, I don't care what you label the point is there is this force that allows us to breathe, allows us to walk, allows us to think, allows us to love, allows us to share. It's like, it's like, and I am in love with that force. Now, now I also think that that force created a parent-child relationship to to teach us how that force cares about us, like we are his or her children, and so. What what I am like, I'm jumping out of my skin literally all day long, 
asking myself, like, what can I do in return? Like, I'm so, I feel so loved. I feel like the most loved creature on the planet. Things don't always go my way, but I feel like the most loved creature on the planet. Like, what can I do in return? Like, I'm literally jumping out of my skin. And what I what I think I could do in return, it's like, I know when someone does me a favor, I really appreciate it. When someone does one of my children a favor, I'm like going crazy. Like, there isn't anything. I'll do triple, double black backflips for them. Because you do something with my children, it's like, I'm out of control. If you do something for me, I love you and I really appreciate it. But it's not the same like when you do something for my children. So the way I see it is also, it's like the thing that would make my creator the happiest. I, I want that makes, I want him to stand up and clap, right? Is what can I do to benefit his children? And so I think that I'm so consumed with that that like all of that, like feeling loved, wanting to do something back, naturally loving other people. It's just uh, like I'm I'm like out of control with what I what being focused on and driven by what I can do for his children. Like I'm, I'm out of control. Yeah. Yeah. That's remarkable. Where do you think that comes from? Like at what point? Because, you know, your childhood like you said, I mean, it's it's not like you were raised in an ashram or like a Buddhist, you know, temple. Like it's not, you know, it's you lost your father when you were young at eighteen. Yeah, yeah. And the world wasn't exactly there to like support you or catch you no. after that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So where? So I'm curious where it comes from, and if there's a particular moment that you might point to yeah. like is, was there like a moment of of grace so to speak or like where does it like where did it where did all that come from uh, yeah I, I don't think there was a moment of grace what i would say is i was brought up even though i did lose my dad way too early at 18 but um i would say that i saw so much love growing up in in my home you know uh we didn't always have money we rarely had money um but my father would go to the grocery store buy groceries we would i would help him pack those groceries some of my friends would help also and we would deliver those groceries to to old people in south beach somehow we had a list of old people in south that's because i grew up i was i was born and raised in miami and we, we had a list of people i don't know where my father got the list and we would go into these smelly apartments and it's like i hated it because those smells were terrible and musty and oh, terrible. But that's what we did. And I would drop off. The, I couldn't wait to get out of there. But it had a big impact on me. And I and so I, he just cared so much about people. People would sometimes come to the door, come to the house, and we didn't have money to give them. But they were always treated gently and kindly and lovingly and nobody no one was ever meant to feel less than because they were coming and asking us for money and and in my house we uh like either of my parents like my mother also it's like i i didn't even know what it meant to talk poorly about anybody like every there was no such thing as speaking poorly about anybody i, I didn't even, until i went to religious school that's where i learned how to do it <laughs> but in my house, there was no, 
there was no such thing as talking poorly about people. There was no such thing as as being treating anyone as less than. It, it, it just didn't exist. I remember walking on the street with my father, like we would if we would see like a piece of bread on the on the sidewalk, he would like kick it with his foot over to this to the edge of the of the street because he said like it's just not right that god's food should be trampled on you know so like you push it to the side it's like he was he just loved like my parents they just loved one time <laughs> one time i went to summer camp i was and at the end of the school year you know in the science class you know, they had mice so so they uh they 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 said, who wants to take like two mice home for the summer? I said, I'll take two mice home for the summer. I took two, the two mice home. I tried to bring them to camp and the camp didn't let them stay. And so, so I, so they stayed, they went, my father took them back. My father and mother took them back by the end of the summer. I, I think there may have been like 40 mice. Oh my gosh. And it was crazy. I remember him sticking his hand in, like he didn't like it. I remember him sticking the hand, putting the food, you know, in there for the mice and uh, like the mice were crawling on his hand. And believe me, this was not a, a, an experience that he enjoyed, but he was just, mm. he just loved, he just loved. He, I just grew up in the most, in a, in a loving, loving, loving household. That's just yeah. both my parents, both. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I would say also like after my father passed away and I, I, I felt so alone and the, the pain was like, devastating it brought me to my knees um i think that pain also created sensitivity to other people's pain mm. so when i see someone in pain again i'm out of control mm. i'm out of control and uh, i always say even that because i'm a little at not well not a little maybe a lot out of control when it comes to helping people i would say like in the job i'm in right now uh as a ceo there's no way that I could interview for that job and actually get hired. <laughs> Just no way. Yeah. So I think I think my upbringing and the loss of my father, both things, what I experienced with my parents, and also the loss of my dad, and just being the most lonely person on the planet. I think that uh, both of those generated, you know, how I feel. Yeah. So I understand how that would seeing that around you would make you care about other people and to be sensitive to yeah. animals and food, right? But as far as the relationship with God, right? So like, I would imagine after you lost your father that, I mean, most, a lot of people would be very angry with God, yeah. right? Or question, you know, whether or not there is a God, right? So when do you remember, as far as, having a personal relationship with God, conversing with him or her or whatever you want to call. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. When, like, were you doing that in high school or did that kind of evolve over, over time? Yeah, it evolved over time. It definitely evolved over time. It wasn't, uh, and I, I, I did go through an angry stage. Um, angry, um, I don't think it lasted. I don't think anger lasted long. I don't really have um, an anger, much of an anger gene at all. I don't, I don't, I actually don't remember the last time I got angry. Um, right. It may have been like decades ago. I don't get angry. And um, 
sometimes I get frustrated, you know, um, but I, I don't get angry. And uh, even when I'm frustrated, I usually keep it inside myself, I think, for the most part, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Take the pa- passive aggressive approach to express it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I went through stages and, um, but I also went through a period of my life after, you know, my father died that I felt like I was, you know, I grew up in a Jewish community and I, I, fe- I felt like I was, you know, the rabbi said, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I, I think, you know, I was 18 I, you know, authority meant something to me. And um, I ended up going through years of living someone else's life, mm-hmm. the life that someone else thought I should live rather than the life that I really wanted to live. Mm-hmm. You know, so for years after my father died, you know, I studied in a rabbinical seminary. I never went out on a date. I never went to a movie. Um and it's not so much that I enjoyed the studying so much. I felt like I was doing, I was, it was my duty. And that, those were really painful years. And like, and, and I think it was, but just, just, you know, coming to a conclusion at some point um, that it's, you know, I have to be myself. And if I, if I'm not, if I, if I living someone else's life is just so depressing and so, just I'm not happy any of the time. And so I just started, I think, you know, started moving in in the direction of what do I really want to achieve? Yes, I love my creator, but what does he really or she, what what do they really expect from me? As opposed to listening to another human being telling me what they expect of me or them telling me what my creator expects of me. So, you know, I'm a pretty open-minded person. I want to listen to everybody. But, but I'm not, you know, but just in terms of just following what they say because of who said it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to some sales questions, how do you approach a first meeting with a client? Let's say someone who may have a long time relationship with another lender so how do you approach that? How do you, what's your, you know, you walk into the room, make introductions. What's your approach at an initial yeah. meeting? So, so two, two things. Um, number one, I say I'm here, I'm here for one reason. And that is I want to help you be even more successful than you've already been. And I want to help you grow your business. Number one. Number two, if you don't hear something from me or a few things from me that you've never heard from anybody else, then I'm just going to walk out. Right. Because if I, if I, if all I'm doing here is repeating what other people are saying, what other people are doing, you really don't have a use for me and you've got relationships. You don't need me. So I want to help you build your business. And if I can't in a few minutes, in a short period of time, give you some ideas about how you can do it and how I can help you do it then you shouldn't work with me. Simple as that. Yeah, that's interesting. As far as how the conversation actually progresses, right? I think you'll then want to, you'll, you'll be trying to learn, right? You'll be trying to learn. Uh, it's totally, totally trying to learn. I'm not interested in selling to anybody. 
You know, I want to, I want to learn their business. I'm extremely curious. I will, they'll know just from my questions that like I am laser focused on what they're saying, laser focused. And I will be challenging them, asking them questions and about their business, why they did it one way, why they didn't do it another way. What are their challenges? How, like, you know, what could I provide that, that they need the most? Um, and so I will be laser focused. That's just my nature. And, and they'll know that I, that I'm focused on helping them build their business and giving them ideas that they just will not have heard from anyone else. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And it gets back to that, that idea of, right. That is your approach is trying to try to get to ideas that they just won't have heard before. Right. Or, or, or take not just ideas, but also me being willing to take some risk that others won't take. Yeah. I, I find I find lots of people, it's like they're, you know, they're, you know, everyone talks to, not everybody, but a lot of people talk a good game. Yeah. Even like the big banks, whether that's Goldman or others, like the whole idea of like underwriting. Yeah. It's like most everybody has it pre-sold before, they have, before they're underwriting. Right. But I'm talking about taking some risk that I think is calculated, that's educated, that others won't take. I think yeah. I think at the end of the day, very few companies actually are willing to put their money where their mouth is. We are. Yeah. I was reading an article by Rabbi Sachs the other weekend, and he was talking about how leaders had the importance of helping students and employees and others develop more self-awareness, right? About like how to focus, you know, how to appreciate their own strengths, yeah. to see themselves from a different perspective. I wonder if, are you also trying to, in terms of how they perceive their own business as a result of the meeting, does that come into it in terms of to say like, all right, well, yeah, I never really thought about my business that way, but now I could, you know, with this, maybe I could redirect, like, is there a different self-conception, you know, as a yeah. result of the meeting? Do you think? Yeah, yeah that, that's interesting because I try to understand their business and I try to reframe it in different ways, you know, like, so they're describing their business one way and it's more, have you ever thought about this? Like, do you think you're really a, um, uh, are you just a multifamily operator or you know, maybe you should be selling cable TV to all of your residents. Like yeah. maybe you're a, maybe this is, you have a, a distribution channel yeah. you know, to your residents that you could be utilizing for other things to make it so that they would never want to leave you because you're delivering their groceries, you're delivering their cable, you're delivering their data, you know, you're delivering their insurance. So make it so that they're just not leaving. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so to redefine who you are to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. You see other salespeople at work also, right? You're in other meetings with salespeople. What do you see? A lot of other salespeople get wrong. You know, if like if you had to complete the sentence, many salespeople believe X, but really, you know, why? Yeah. Like, how would you? Yeah, like lots of times I'm actually embarrassed when I'm sitting with like Greystone salespeople that are like, well, listen, you know that 
Greystone is the number one FHA lender in the country. And, you know, that we're like the three or four, five, you know, whatever it is, number Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. It's like they go through a sales pitch. Yeah. And that just embarrasses me. Hmm. Like that can come later. Like I, I think the idea is show that you care first. Yeah. You know, show that you care. And, you know, I, I may have, I may have mentioned this short story to you before. I was once interviewing a, um, a Mormon uh, candidate. And he, I asked him, you know, did you go on missionary work when you were, uh, when you were like 18? Like, I was I'm very just curious about that. He said, yeah, I went to Paris. You know, I went to Paris. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Did they, did they teach you French before you went to Paris? He said, no, no, they didn't really teach me, uh, teach me French. I said, so what'd you do? So I went there and I lived in a house with a bunch of other guys and they, they kind of gave us a territory to walk every day and to try to spread the religion. I said, wait, wait, so wait, wait a second. So like you're, you're walking around a neighborhood and you don't speak the language and you're trying to educate them about a new religion, new to them. He says, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we did. I said, so, were you successful at all? Yeah, we did. You know, we did pretty well. It's like, what? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how could you how could you do well? And he answered me in the most amazing way. And what, what he said was, when you show you care, all the doors open. And that was an amazing statement. And I think it's that way with selling also. Like you call it selling, but you're not selling. It's caring. Mm -hmm. When you show that you care, the doors open and people's hearts open to you. So when I, when I talk to people, I really kind of want to know, it's like, can you do me a favor? Let's start back from high school. Like wh where'd you grow up? Like where'd like what high school do you go to? How was your childhood? Like, were you, you know, did you, did your parents put a lot of pressure on you to do this or that? Like, I, I just, I want to know that. And I really, I, I'm, I'm just curious about them and their business and how they started. And, and I, I really do sincerely care. And, and then it's, okay, how can I help you take your business to a different level? Yeah. Like I would never start out with, by the way, you know, Greystone is this, 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 and this. It's like, no, that's, that's later. It's like, the, re the reason you can trust me that I will make your business better is because, look, we have some credentials. Yeah. But it's like, just show that you care. Like, forget about selling. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. don't like to be sold. Right. right. I've heard it said that right. people hate to be sold, but they love to buy. Exactly. No, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I know. You know, you you're in these meetings sometimes, these large meetings with a roundtable of people, and I always, it's like a little bit of a pet peeve for me. Like when everyone goes around the circle, everyone introduces themselves and gives their like, you know, two minute yeah. spiel, right? And like, who cares? Like, let's just let's talk yeah. and let's get. Right. Know, I don't I don't need to hear like someone's resume, yeah, you know, in in verbal form. Yeah, give me the information in advance so I know about you and and that's it. And yeah. I, and for me to I don't need to give you my resume. Like, let's let's yeah. talk and let's connect and see yeah. if something to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And uh, yeah, a lot of the the way meetings are conducted, it's just 
there's a lot of wasted energy in yeah. that. You know, you have a, a fifth, you know, 10 people around the table and people are just going around and it's like, no, I don't know. Just yeah. get into it. Jump in. Care. Yeah. Right. I can't tell you I recall a single thing that anyone has ever said around. <laughs> exactly. For... Exactly. Yeah. You know, you've obviously had a tremendous amount of success in your career. What drives you to win the next deal? You know, when you hear it's really remarkable because even with all the success that, that you've had, it doesn't even matter what the size of the deal is. It could be a $5 million deal that you hear about or a $50 million deal or $500 million deal, right? But there's clearly an energy and focus around trying to win that deal. What would you say drives you to win that, that next deal? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, you know, like everything in life, it's probably a, a cocktail of things. Um, so it's probably my ego. I'm extremely competitive. I don't like to lose ever. Um, and it's also that I know that Greystone is a machine to benefit other people's lives. You know, when, so I am so driven by making a positive impact on people's lives. So driven by that. It's like, I think everything else is nonsense. Mm -hmm. So I love people and I just, anything I can do to enhance someone's life. And I know that Greystone is, I see it as, it's a machine. We work really, really hard. We're trying to be really, really creative. We hate losing. We want to win. And, and, but at the end of the day, what do we do with the winnings? We give them away, right? We are ridiculous when it comes to giving it away. And that's what drives me. It's like I, when I see someone in pain, and I think that probably comes maybe from the pain I suffered as, a, as you know, when I was younger, when I lost my dad and, and others, like, especially I lost my dad and most of the rest of my family. It's like, I don't know, with all the promises they made during the Shiva, there was nothing much left. Uh, yeah. You know, no one did too much. And um, I think it was that pain and maybe, you know, and loving other people. So that's, I'm driven. I'm totally driven by, so you combine ego um, with my competitiveness and my desire to enhance other people's lives. And it's like, no, we're not going to lose that $5 million deal. Yeah. <laughs> we're not. Right. We have to say things. We have to do things that other people won't do. And that's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it clearly is not about the money. Right. Because if you're about the money, then you're about accumulating it. And no. and, and your grace zone, I think, you know, I've heard the statistic that, you know, over now, what is it? 30? Over 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. Right. That you've given away you know, about 50% of the yeah yeah the or profits. more 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 more, right. more probably and uh, i just want to do more and more and more more and right. more and more i want i want to be i want to be giving away billions yeah yeah right do you, does it feel like in your brain do you make that connection when you're chasing that deal are you thinking oh if i do this this is going to give me money so that i can give more away or is it more about the competition in the moment but on a big big picture perspective, right? It's about Greystone existing for the benefit of others, you personally existing for the benefit of others. 
Um, you know, I think it's, to be honest with you, in the moment, it's probably the, the competitiveness and the, uh, you know, probably the competitiveness in the moment. And, uh, to be honest, yeah. but I, but I'm, I'm constantly mindful of what we're doing, um, for others. And also just the fact that we have a matching program for all of our employees that will match whatever they give, whatever they give to any not-for-profit will match what they do. Each office has a budget. Yeah. So I want to, I just want to train people also to the beauty of giving. Yeah. That's amazing. So just a few uh, final questions before we wrap up. So first, you know, we're now week, I don't know, 70 something. That's 75. Yeah. 75. Right. Who'd have thought any habits or practices or activities that you've given up over the course of COVID that you don't plan on picking back up afterwards or new habits or activities that you've started during COVID that you plan on keeping you know, yeah. af afterwards? Yeah. So number one, I plan on keeping the weekly videos. Like I love those. Initially it was like, whoa, no one knew what was going to happen, you know, in March of 2020. So I felt the need like to, to report back to people. We're doing fine, you know, and I loved the feedback I got from the weekly communications. And like you said, we're on week 75 now, 75. And I love it. I love connecting with people. I love the feedback I get from connecting with them. And I do genuinely care about each and every person, each and every one. And people around the company know it's like people have my email. They can call me if they have a personal issue. I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to deal with that issue. So I love so that's a that's a a new behavior that I want to continue. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, I see the great benefit of video calls. Right. Not every it's, it's a heck of a lot better than a phone call. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe not as good as a face-to-face, -face, but you can accomplish a lot yeah. on a video call. So video calls have been now a, a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoy those. Um, um, let me see. Other than... Um, um, Exercise, I, I think, fitness. I think, I think I've tried to eliminate meetings, meetings that don't necessarily accomplish things like mm -hmm. just have a meeting that is you know on the schedule like if, if if a meeting is on the schedule and you have it once twice and it's like what did we really accomplish with this i'm going to try to move it off the schedule so really yeah. being more efficient even um but uh yeah so i think those are probably the main ones yeah that's what i'm thinking i think you've also started walking started walking actually that's true that's true. So in addition to my normal exercise routine, I've tried to uh, start walking like, you know, an hour and 20 minutes uh, a day. I'm not able to do it every day, but I try to do it most days a week. And I'll, 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 I'll schedule phone calls during that time or maybe even listen to an interesting podcast uh, while, while I'm doing that. And it's interesting. I, I, I walk the same 
I walk the same track. It's not a track. I walk in the same neighborhood the same way every day. But what I sometimes I'll walk this way and sometimes I'll walk the other way. So it's it's a circle. But um, what I particularly enjoy is same road, but different environments. Sometimes it's in the middle of winter and I'm wearing a winter coat. I'm, I'm walking in the middle of a blizzard. Sometimes I'll walk in the middle of a rainstorm mm-hmm. and just enjoy it's the same walk in the different environments and all of this variation that God gives us. Like sometimes the trees are bare. Sometimes they're green. The sky is blue. The sky is white. It's raining. It's snowing. It's hot. Like mm-hmm. all of these different variations. And I try to really appreciate all of those variations. Sometimes um, on Saturdays when I am walking and I'm, I'm not on the phone, I don't use the phone on Saturday. I don't use, I'm not listening to podcasts or anything like that. And just trying to take in the beauty of everything around me, recognizing that, that each house that I'm passing represents a story. Mm. There's a story in that house. There's a family. I hope they're happy. Mm. Right. Do the, do the, Husband and wife, if there's a husband and wife, did they get along with each other? How are their children experiencing their childhood? You know, I just, I try to just be present in the, um, right, during the walk. Yeah. I heard a, there's a woman, Byron Katie, who's an author. She wrote Loving What Is, um, just remarkable book. But I heard her say, something she was talking about how she had surgery and then had a lot of pain afterwards right and she felt that her eyes were never open to chronic pain right like what that feels like to have chronic pain yeah and all of a sudden she had this capacity to like relate to people who had chronic chronic pain but she said that whatever like pain or just you know whatever stresses or pain or discomfort that you that you have had in your past right at the low points that statistically, it's very likely that the person sitting next to you has experienced the same thing. Yeah. You know, and the person behind yeah. you, right? You yeah. Know? So, yeah, it's interesting thinking about the stories of everyone who you pass and what that. Yeah. Because everyone has a whole yeah. world. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, I think a final question. If you could go back in time and talk to the 19 year old Steve Rosenberg, what would you, what would you tell him? Yeah, I think I would, (laughs) I think I'd probably say it hurts, but it's going to make you better. Hmm. Yeah. You think that would have been consolation to the, probably not, but good to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe not consolation, but maybe, maybe, maybe some consolation. It's like, I get the pain, but this is going to make you stronger, more sensitive, maybe smarter. And if I were to talk to my 25 year old self, I'd probably say, Steve, don't make the mistake and drink anyone else's Kool-Aid, right? Make your own Kool-Aid, but don't, don't drink anyone else's Kool-Aid. 
Right. That, that's for them to drink, not you. Yeah. And let's say if there were a piece of advice for someone, a new salesperson, let's say a college graduate thinking about a career in sales, if there were, or really anyone in, in, in sales of, of some type, if there were one message or lesson that you could give them, what do you think that would be? Add value. Add value. Add value. Don't sell. Add value. Yeah. yeah. And and also, if you have loved ones, spend more time with loved ones. Like work really hard. Work really hard, but spend more time with the people right. you love. And uh, don't waste that. Like when you're when you're with the people you love, turn that damn phone off. Mm. Turn the damn phone off. And because uh, when you're with your children or anyone else that you love, whether or not it's your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, children, when you're with them and that phone rings and you answer that phone, you're making a statement. You're, sta you're making a statement that this phone call is more important right now. Right. Don't answer the phone. Put it away. Yeah. That's great advice. Well, yeah. this has been uh, this has been great. I, I you know even even knowing you for forty two <laughs> almost forty three years, yeah, I learned some new some new things. Well, so, this this is you. this is my pleasure. You allowing me to do this podcast with you is an absolute gift. So thank you so much. I love you so much, and uh, this is the best. This is the best. Thank you. Uh, and I'm so proud of you. So proud. Like beyond. Beyond. Okay. Thank you. And I love you too, Dad. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right. And I'll, Thanks I'll, more. I'll see you later. Okay. Right. Bye. All right. Bye.